can't tell you how many times I get up here to preach and I feel like there's not a lot left to say. That in our lyrics and the music and the prayers and the testimonies, uh, the gospel has already been proclaimed. And that's the beauty of God's people. That's the beauty of this church. Uh, that's the beauty of what God does is go get his glory everywhere. I think it'd take me just a second to kind of control myself a little bit. That song got me. We are going to wrap up our series in Isaiah. And so if you've been with us, you've, you've walked through uh, this old book that the prophet Isaiah proclaimed to the people, specifically of Jerusalem. So it was written to them, but it was also written for us. And so today we're going to do a little recap of really what the story of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah is, and see how I really believe it's, it's the same story uh, through the history of all mankind. And basically, uh, the book of Isaiah is a story of a loving God who has a deep desire to be known by his creation, who pursues his people to enter into a love relationship with them. And his people refuse that love or at times don't trust that love, and so they enter into sin of all kinds. They choose that they want to rely on their own resources, that they want to go outside of what God's best is for them, that they are smarter than God, they think they know better than God, and so they enter into what Scripture calls idolatry or sin, and that sin wreaks havoc on their life, that sin wreaks havoc in their relationships, sin wreaks havoc in their hearts. And so this is what Isaiah 65, 12 says. God says, When I called, you did not answer. When I spoke, you did not listen. You did what was evil in my sight and chose what I did not delight in. So whether you are a professing Christian or maybe you're feeling out who this God is and what Christianity is all about, uh, my question to myself this week, and hopefully a lot more than this week, has been, what do I do that God does not delight in? Christian, what do you trust in that is in competition to God? Because when God says, I called upon you, I want it to be found, and so we stop and think, well, is that like in salvaic terms? Because like Josh said, he found Jesus a long time ago. But what does it look like to live in the gospel every single day? What does it look like to live under the power of the gospel every single day? Isaiah speaks of the idolatry of the people creating separation, and most of the time in the book of Isaiah, it calls it evil and wickedness. And it says that evil and wickedness results in the same thing it does here. It results in oppression, where one people oppress another people. It results in self-destruction. How many times in my life do I make choices, and then the consequences of those choices make life much, much more difficult? And it results in a dissatisfaction in life. Isaiah 65, 13 says, They eat but are still hungry. They drink but are still thirsty. Can we relate to that? The things in our life that are, we desire at times, the things in our life that tempt us, that we turn to and we engage in or we indulge in, and then we're still feeling empty. We're still feeling void. 
And I believe each time God is saying, Nick, turn your eyes upon me. I am the only one who can fill the void. He used Isaiah in the Old Testament. I think he uses all of his creation then and now to continue to whisper to us, trust in my love, all those shiny things, they don't satisfy. So sometimes we look at our sin and we look at the things that we do that we ought not to, but man, many times there's awful, a whole list of things that God is calling us to that we don't engage in. So this can be everything from kind of the, the temptations of uh, the common sort, things that are mistreating each other, uh, raising yourself up above another, but it can also be just this addiction to please people before God. It can be this addiction to feel and live with your guilt because somehow you feel more acceptable, more right before God if you feel bad about everything that you've done. And so in a lot of ways, we trust in other things when God has said, I have given you all you need. Whether that be my Holy Spirit to walk in righteousness and you're continuing to rely on your own strength, or whether that be the forgiveness of all of your sins and you're continuing to pay penance to, to somehow be more acceptable. Comes a lot of different angles, doesn't it? Isaiah 66, 17, it was a problem then and it's a problem now. It says this, Those who sanctify and purify themselves, they shall come to an end. So when you look through your life, whether it be pre-Christ, how many times are we trying to earn our acceptance before God by living a moral life? Doing more good than bad, so it outweighs a little bit. What are you putting your trust in? Or maybe it's not, this, this, the question of salvation is, is anchored for you. You're sure that you are in right standing with God because of the person of Jesus Christ. But we need, or we look for salvation a lot of different ways, don't we? Maybe it's salvation from heartache. Maybe it's salvation from discomfort or discord with a relationship. So today, there's a good chance you're going to want rescued from something. Boredom, discontentment, being overwhelmed. Who's your rescuer? Do you look to other people? Do you look within yourself to try to figure out how you can overcome a discomfort with your charismatic personality or with your talents or with your smarts or with the toys that you have? What are you putting your trust in? The story continues, right? The problem is that we all want to be saved from something. We all need to be saved from the prison of our sin. The gospel message that Josh proclaimed, and so we look to Jesus. And Jesus says, I will take on your sin, and I will give you my righteousness. That's what we call salvation. In Isaiah 59, verses 16 through 21... God is speaking and he says, I looked and there is no one to intercede. 59.16 says this, The Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man, no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought salvation and his righteousness upheld them. This is the part of the movie where the hero looks around 
and disasters all over, and he decides he's going to do something about it himself. This is the part of the movie where the music gets intense, where you see the hero's eyes and resolve within his heart, and he says, something must be done, and by God, I'm going to do it. This is, the, this is the story of all history. That Jesus Christ says, there is no justice. So he strips himself of his robe, and he lays his crown aside, and he comes down from heaven, the heavenly places, and he invades our war. Where he sees that no one else will and no one else can, so he will. A king who fights his own battles, that's a king that I would love to follow. I believe David was a type pointing towards Jesus, and I believe why David is one of the most celebrated people on, in the history is because he was a, can, a king who had all kinds of problems, but he was also a king who, at his best, he fought with and before his troops. And so Jesus doesn't only fight alongside us. Jesus fought for us. A king who fights his own battles. In Isaiah 59, it says this, after he decided that he will be the one to intercede for us, it says, He put on righteousness as a breastplate, and a helmet of salvation was on his head. And this is my covenant with them, says the Lord, my spirit that is upon you, and my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart, but they shall not even depart from your offspring's mouth, and out of your mouth they will flow from this time and forevermore. So the theme we get after Christ declares that he will be the Savior, he will be the Messiah, he will be the Rescuer, is you get this idea of a breastplate of righteousness, this helmet of salvation, this talk of covenant, and through that covenant will be spirit and word. Bells going off in your head? Does this sound familiar? Last week, if you were with us, Bill said the, 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 the scriptures are an autobiography of Jesus Christ. That they are a story of God. And God desired to be known, and so he sent his son Jesus, who is the exact representation. And he says, someone needs to save you, so I'm going to send someone like you. Someone who feels what you feel. Someone who experiences what you experience. This is Jesus, the Son of God, our brother, our high priest, our king, and our savior. And so the word that is mentioned in Isaiah in that covenant, John in the New Testament tells us who that is. In the beginning was the word, and the word of God was among us. That's Jesus. It's the same old gospel, isn't it? Fast forward... Who is our righteousness? Jesus. Who is our salvation? Jesus. In the book of Ephesians, Paul is writing. And the context of the book, Paul says that you were once far off, and now you're brought near. You were once an enemy, and now you are a son. This is the book of Isaiah, just condensed into six chapters instead of 66. He says, this was your state. You were trapped in your sin. But Christ came. By faith you have been saved. 
It's a gift from God. And then he reminds us of who we are in Christ. It reminds us of our identity in Christ, our new creation in Christ. And then he pivots and says, so walk in a manner that's worthy of your calling. Remember who you are. Now live out that calling. And then in chapter 6, he talks about a battle. Something we're very familiar with. When he starts to describe the armor of God. And really, this is layered upon Isaiah 59. Isaiah 6, he says, Put on the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness. Take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So already, you feel the theme again, right? Salvation, righteousness, the Spirit, the Word. Jesus, 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 Jesus. So whether you need saved for the first time from the bondage of sin, the answer is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Or whether I need saved for the millionth time of self-reliance or pride or fear or anxiety or addiction, the answer is the same. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Christian, what does it look like for you today to turn towards him now? I guarantee you, you will have moments today where you will have a choice whether you rely on him or whether you look to someone else or whether you look to yourself. And I believe revival is the same old gospel. There's a little bit of a pivot from the story of Isaiah to what Paul's explaining. And Isaiah gives us a picture of it when he uses this idea of ambassadors. In Isaiah 66, it says this, Heaven and earth are God's. In other words, he needs nothing. But in verse 2 he says, But this is the one to whom I will look. So though I need nothing, I have a desire to partner with someone. My eyes are turned towards some kind of person. And it's he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. So who are these people who are his ambassadors? It's those who are humble, who understand their need. It's those who tremble at his word. It's true worshipers of God. True, when you trust God's love for you, the response is to love back. And that's worship. And when you worship God, you further his kingdom. Isaiah 65, 13 says, My servants, they will sing with gladness and rejoice. Isaiah 66, 10 through 14 says, Rejoice, be glad, you shall be satisfied. I will extend peace. I will be your comforter. Your heart shall rejoice. Your bones shall flourish. The hand of the Lord shall be known. So most of the book of Isaiah is describing the consequence of judgment for going our own way. But all throughout we've seen, and you guys have continued to hear, that hope that is infused. Hope that begins now, but reaches its fruition in the future. And it's hope of blessing. It's hope of reward. We can experience much of that now, and many of you have. Gladness, peace, joy, comfort. What are these ambassadors building? 
What are we about? This is what we sang about all morning. A new heaven and a new earth. And in Isaiah 65 and in Isaiah 66, it begins to describe what this new heaven and new earth looks like. And so I believe an ambassador is one sent by a king. But slightly different, the gospel says you're not only sent by the king, but the king goes with you. Back to the language of covenant promise, back to the language of the Holy Spirit, that ambassadors in the Christian term are vessels. That the how, they house the fire of God, the power of God, to further his kingdom. Which many of you have heard me before, when I try to wrap my mind around, around what the kingdom of God is like, I'm, I'm convinced that first and foremost, he starts within my spirit. That God says, I will take your broken, selfish, dead spirit, and I will cleanse it so that my Holy Spirit can be intermeshed, united, enveloped with your spirit. Brothers and sisters, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is one with your spirit. In order to do what? Further his kingdom and glorify his name. And so as he establishes his kingdom within your heart, he begins to establish his kingdom within your soul. And pretty soon you begin to think like Jesus. You begin to ex live out Jesus. You live the gospel and people take notice. And so a kingdom that starts here begins to expand. And it begins to expand to places like this field where 10 people are baptized declaring that. And it begins to expand within your homes and within your cities and within your country and within your world. We are here to further the kingdom of God. Does he need you? No. But he delights in using you and he delights in equipping you. And whether you feel like you know enough about God or whether you know where certain scriptures are or you have enough insight, if God has touched your heart, that is the beginning. Go touch somebody else's heart with the gospel. Sometimes that looks very religious, other times it doesn't. Paul says whether we live or move, whether we eat or drink, we do all to the glory of God. As the gospel, as the new creation gets expressed through my body, this is where we begin to live in the growth of it now, but we look forward to the completion of it later. And this is what Isaiah is proclaiming. In his book, he's saying, this is going to grow and I'm going to invite other people into my kingdom. And this is what he's proclaiming to us today, that I'm furthering my kingdom and I want you to invite other people into it until the restoration is complete. My favorite piece of scriptures that talk about this are in Romans 8 and in 2 Corinthians. Romans 8 says, For I consider this present time and the sufferings therewith are not worth the eternal weight of glory that be revealed to us. For all of creation is groaning. We ourselves are groaning inwardly for the redemption of our bodies. For this we hope, and for this we are saved. 2 Corinthians 4 says this, We do not lose heart, for though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. 
2 Corinthians 5 says, For in this tent we long for and groan for our heavenly dwelling. For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened. Not that we will be unclothed in the future, but we will be further clothed. So that which is mortal may be swallowed up for life. Ambassadors, you're here to further the kingdom of God until the restoration of all things. Until we get to enter true Sabbath. Until not only is our spirit one with God, but our relationships are one with each other. Our bodies are immortal. All of this that you see is as it was meant to be, like in Eden. Before we turned to trust to ourselves, before we turned to trust to our own resources. There's judgment that we're experiencing now. In some ways, we get what we want. But there is reward that is lasting. I was talking to some friends about what this might look like, and I'm not going to spend a ton of time because honestly, I really don't know. I think it's okay, and I think it's good to dream, and really, I can't preach better than what we sang as far as getting your heart and your mind there. But as I was talking to some friends, uh, my, my brother said, man, it's a sad fact that he, when he was young, he used to jump really high, and he could dunk a basketball, and he loved doing it, and he'd do it all day long. And he said, I'm never going to dunk a basketball again. And he said, that's a little bit sad. I guess I'll have to wait for my immortal body to do that. And so I said, you know, dunking a basketball will be fun. But for me, it's only fun if you're dunking on somebody. (laughs) And other people are watching. So I have no idea what that's going to look like in heaven. Because I don't think... God wants me to dunk kind of brother and a sister in Christ. So I don't know if it's going a little too far. I don't know if those separated from God, they come up and they get dunked on. I don't know what that's going to look like. But, but somehow, if you dunk on me, I'm going to be celebrating with you, and then I'm going to dunk on you. Who knows? All that to say, I think it does our hearts good in moments in this life to grab onto the possibilities of a restored kingdom. And there's some moments that I promise you, you are forced to. To get through a moment or a day. And there are other times it's good to just daydream lightly. The gospel in Isaiah is the gospel today. That I'm this country's problem. That my own selfish desires are the world's problem. And there's one solution for that, and that's Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to do some soul searching and ask yourself what you're trusting in for salvation. Whether it be first time from eternal damnation or eternal life with God, or whether it be the discomfort or insecurities that pop up today. What are you trusting in? And I want to encourage you to embrace and grab a hold of with everything that you have. That as a regenerated individual, you are an ambassador of the king. And whether it seemed daily like changing diapers or doing the dishes or going to work in your 30th year of the same job, that it's more than a job and it's more than a diaper and it's more than dishes or whether that you're sharing the gospel with someone in an overt way, or whether you're getting baptized, it matters. Everything that you do is your opportunity to put your full weight 
on the Spirit of God and to know you are furthering his kingdom. Last thing I want to share with you. My mom shared this multiple times with me, but there's been a few times it was frozen. It's made a huge impact on my life. It's made a huge impact on my wife's life. She said, everything you do, you're either building and furthering the kingdom of God or the kingdom of this world. There's no middle ground. Everything you do is furthering the kingdom of God, which you are made for, you are equipped for, you are saved for, you are designed for. Or it's working against that. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for all of the ways that you minister to us. I thank you for all of the ways that you speak truth that is everlasting, that we are in deep, deep need for a Savior. And I thank you for being a God who came down to us, who rescued us, who freed us from bondage, from addiction, from slavery, from damnation, from wrath, from despair. I thank you that you infused great purpose in us, that we have the opportunity to receive your love, to pour that out and to change the world until you bring it to full completion. I thank you for the promises that we have anchored on Jesus Christ, that we would remind each other often of what is in our future. Sustain us while we wait. Help us to be those who are about our Father's business, inviting others into that kingdom. I pray now as we celebrate as a church family, those who are declaring that they have been redeemed by you, that this would be a day in baptism that we look upon them and are reminded of our salvation or are reminded of what we need. And that this would be a day that they would look back on and remember that they are partners with the living God to bring about his kingdom. We love you. We can't wait until our faith becomes sight. Amen.